episode of the Revis and Butthead podcast. In this episode, Hussein and I, we're going to go through a very exciting first day of free agency for the New York Jets. And we hope you uh, follow along and listen to the very end. And who knows, maybe we might break another signing in the middle of this podcast, because I think that would be pretty magical. What do you think, Hussein? It'd be electric. I mean, we already broke Marcus Joyner once, but man, imagine we break like Marcus Williams or something in the next like 45 minutes. I hope that we go two for two in the in the two previous podcast episodes that we would record. But anyway, electric, electric day for New York Jets fans, right? right electric day, right? Just the word electric around today. Honestly, Joe Douglas heard all the groans and crying and complaints after the Amari Cooper trade went through to the Browns, and I think he took that personally. I um, I do remember like three days ago, I asked you like. Do you want to record this podcast on Monday? Like Joe Douglas has a history of not doing anything on the first day. Last year, his first signing was um, Gerard Davis. The year before that, he didn't sign anyone on the first day. And his first signing was George Fan on the second day. So I'm like, if like our only signing of the day was Gerard Davis, I think we would have done a podcast out of anger. But here we are all happy. Yeah, I, I feel like my initial plan was if nothing happened, I could be angry on the podcast. And if something did happen and I didn't agree with it, I could still be angry. And if and on the off chance that the Jets signed good players, I could be ecstatic. And that's what I am right now. I You're am ecstatic. ecstatic. You're ecstatic. ecstatic. See, wow. this, is, this, is the exact, this is exactly the offseason that I was imagining the Jets of having. Because everyone wants to, you know, throw money at the, at the big dog on free agency. But You mean Christian Kirk? Yeah. Well, <laughs> don't even get me started on the Jaguars. Debacle. <laughs> don't, even, don't, even, don't even go there. But, hey, everyone wants to throw the, all the money at the, at the top dog on free agency. But – we and we did this on our mock offseason as well. We spread the money around to as many positions as possible. And aside from the Lake and Tomlinson contract, which was probably the highest annually at I think 13 million, they've really yeah, spread money which, around. And, and who that's exactly what the Jets need to do and fill all fill out this roster. Yeah. And who knows? We had this conversation yesterday about the you know massive cap increases in the next two years. Who knows even how they structure that Lake and Tomlinson contract? where if they kind of backloaded and pushed money off, they're having more money to spend this year. I will say, stupid, the Jaguars were really done with that Kirk signing as a whole, but they did exactly that with the Christian Kirk signing. His cap hit this year is only $7 million for that reason, you know? Push yeah, it all right. next year where that cap rise is 20 to $30 million. But like you said, let's start with Lake and Tomlinson. Well, I'm going to hear what you think about him. Honestly, I think Joe Douglas, this was probably his best first signing, in my opinion, and that's even including Noah Fant. Just because no, no fan at that time was speculative. No Sorry, George Fant. You caught me. Are we signing a tight end from Denver. Is that where yeah, we're Yeah, yeah. You Din- caught Din- me. Good job. Good job. I, I, I normally confuse their names, their first names a lot. But anyway, George Fant. He was a very specul- speculative signing. It was a lot of projection. A lot of us, I was very wrong on him. I can, I can openly admit that. But even with all that said, I think this is my by far and wide favorite signing because not only is he addressing an immediate need, he was aggressive doing so. He, he slammed the door shut on the first day, got it done. You really can't ask much more of your GM and, and to, to fill a huge need to protect Zach Wilson. So I am 10 out of 10 on board with the signing. He's healthy, durable, perfect scheme fit. LaFleur and you know fit. him. Like you, you literally could not have asked any more 
from Joe Douglas on whose first call should be. Now we yeah. in our monk off season, we went a different route. We went to the to the safety market, but I I feel like interior offensive line would have been right there in that conversation as well. So I would like to ask you a question before I give my thoughts. The reason we didn't go after an interior offensive lineman in our mock off season is because of the off chance that um, no one was viable to take it for KT Hutchinson gone, you know, at four. And we were kind of stuck in a situation. Where we had to take a lineman. What would your reaction be, you know, at this point in time, if pick four was say, it can make I would be, I think that's a little too much resources at once to the offensive line. And I think the main reason for that being is because you just, you just gave Lake and Tomlinson 13 million along with the fact that you have George fan coming off the book soon. I mean, I can understand if you don't want to bring George fan back, but I think what the better option at this point is, is to re-sign uh, LDT at this point as a backup, if he's willing to come play with us again. And if not, if that's not the case, you open the door to a mid round draft pick who can at least sit, sit as a backup and develop someone like Luke Fortner, someone like Parham's and, you know, just any of these interior offensive line guys that could come in and just sit for a year. Cole strange, you know, if, yeah. I mean, if, if he's there in the fourth round, you got to at least consider it depending on how the, you know, the first half of the draft goes, what, you know, what, do, you, what do you think you're saying? Those are my exact thoughts. I would be at this point relatively just based on how they've attacked free agency. I'd be upset if they took a lineman in the first round, unless that, you know, they trade down and take say Linderbaum and cut McGovern after or something like that. I'd be upset if pick four was a lineman at this point. Like you said, my probably primary goal at this point is um, I probably, you know, do everything in my power to bring back George Fant next year. Everything and, in my power. Uh, everything in my power. Rising cap. He's um he exploded in our scheme. You kind of developed him. You have to bring him back. I draft someone like Cole Strange, like Luke Fortner, around three or around four. Let him sit for a year behind McGovern, and when McGovern's contract is up, let him walk. That's how you are supposed to properly build out an O line. We never had the chance to do that, so we invested first round picks and lots of money. But now that we have our starting five set, we can draft developmental guys in day four, or day four, round four, and hope that they can ascend into starting roles like you're supposed to do with, with the offensive line, especially on the interior. Hussein loves the draft so much that he added another day to the NFL draft, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's a mistake. You said hey, no. We both made mistakes. And you're... Hey, I, I think we're just so excited. We're just, our minds are going a mile an hour at this point. A mile, that's pretty slow. It's, the saying is 100 miles an hour. I know. I was quoting the office, but it's okay. <laughs> okay wow. So I've... wow, that fast? That fast. <laughs> I, I 100% agree. And I, I love that idea of drafting an, uh, at least uh, even a guard or a center just to d- sit behind and develop. And you can let uh, McGovern walk. And I, I think that would yield some comp- compensatory picks. And that's really how you're supposed to build a team is to let people sit behind, develop, let them play, use your scheme to maximize uh, how, how good they play, and then let them walk and then replace them with another draft pick about three or four years later. The Jets need to get the train going on this and it needs to start oh, now. And I think they're very close. It's a great start. I think it's a great, because I think our problem is we kept drafting these, you know, rookies um, round three, round four, especially on the line. And, you know, we kind of did this with um, Cam Clark. We're like, we have this expectation that this kid's going to come in as a round four pick and start day one, you know, right? that's never going to happen. Like, but now we have that luxury where unless, you know, something really unfortunate happens, they don't have to start day one. And that's kind of where we're at with this, you know, with this line right now, which is where you want to be. Absolutely. And I just, I just want to point out that this, just the transformation this offensive line has gone through in two years alone is absolutely mind boggling. We went from Kelvin Beecham, uh, Brian Winters, 
don't even know who the left guard was. It, who, Couldn't tell you, honestly. The, Brandon Shell remember. was the right tackle. Like, yeah. We went yeah. from that Matt to – Matt Paradis. It's not Matt Paradis. Um, Ryan Khalil at center. We won in Matt Paradis. We got Ryan Khalil out of retirement. Spencer, the, the, the carcass of Spencer. Spencer Long snapping the ball. So now my follow-up question is I had one more to you before I gave my thoughts on Tomlinson. Where would you rank this offensive line? I guess maybe as like a ceiling and a floor with the rest of the NFL. Now, am I going to rank it based off of likelihood of injuries or am I just paper? How good is it? Paper. Let's, let's not get into the what ifs of the world. Paper. Okay, that's fair. Assume yeah, we sign that... nobody else. We don't draft anyone else. That's it. This, this is the starting five. Okay, so left to right. I'm just going to list the offensive line, probably how it's going to be regarding, you know, camp, whatnot. Yep. George Fant. George Fant. Oh, I thought we had a tight end and a left tackle. Excuse At me. Left tackle. Elijah Vera Tucker, left guard. Connor McGovern, center. Now the new, newly acquired Lee Contalmas in a right guard, and then back then at right tackle. I would probably, I would probably rank that closer to 10 to 12 in the NFL in terms of overall offensive line play. I think that is a decent, at least average pinpoint of where I would see them kind of, uh, you know, when you have the bell curve, it's probably likely where they'll, where they will fall. I think they're, I think their floor at worst, you know, if they take a long time to, to, to really get used to playing next to each other and the chemistry isn't there immediately, they could probably be as low as maybe 15, but I think this offensive line could go, go, go up to maybe, you know, the, the sixth or seventh best offensive line. I really hate to say it, like, you have to look on my face, but, like, those were my exact thoughts coming to this. Like, that's exactly where I pinpoint the line today. But, you know, peak of the bell curve, most likely scenario is somewhere between 10 and 12. Now, obviously, there's – I think the biggest – there's a few factors into making that jump to, like, six or seven or even five, like you said. Absolutely. I think – so, and it's really – um. For the first time in a while, it's not as many what ifs on the offensive line, right? Mm-hmm. Like all we're asking for for that line to play at like the level of you know essentially close to a top five offensive line. George Fant has to just repeat production. We're not asking for a massive increase. We're asking for a repeat production. Um, if Connor McGovern learns how to pick up a stunt for like if his life depended on it, besides that fact, like he was graded out as about consensus top 12 center in the NFL last year, somewhere between 10 and 12. So if he learns how to pick up a stunt and his play stays consistent, if Lakin Tomlinson plays stays consistent, if Elijah Vera Tucker, now this is probably one of the bigger ifs, but if Elijah Vera Tucker, who got better and better as the year went along, took that, takes that jump you expect from an offensive lineman you take in the first round in year two, which he showed strides of. And obviously if Mekhi back then plays like he did as a rookie and stays out there for a majority of the season, I think that's not irrational to say that line could be, you know, pushing top five. Yeah, I really, I really love what what Joe Douglas has done to this offensive line, and I, and I love the the flexibility it gives us in the, in the NFL draft because we are not pigeonholed into taking offensive line. Really, honestly, in our top four picks on at this point, because really, when we were looking at the, a lot of us were looking at mock drafts before uh, free agency, we would always, you know, target Iguanu Neal at four. Or if, if we traded back, you know, a, a popular target was Trevor Penning. And then if none of those were, were taken in mock drafts, you, you would see a big Zion Johnson following in like the second round at 35. And as time has gone on, 
the likelihood of Zion Johnson being there at 35 is not, not very high at this point. And I like how Joe, Joe Douglas foresaw this and was aggressively active in filling this need before the NFL draft came up. That urgency is that urgency that a line has to go in the first 38 picks. One of our first four thirty eight picks is gone. Right. And now, so, it can, now it could be transferred to developmental pick and we could, now we can, we can really spread the wealth. So on Tomlinson, what I got here, you know, just his basic, you know, grades, obviously dominates a wide zone scheme. He's known for a run blocker. Obviously he's not a bad pass blocker. He's known as a run blocker. The biggest thing about him is he doesn't miss games. Like he just stays out there. Like I know we're saying this and like, like something's going to happen because it's the jets, but coming in, he doesn't miss games. He, this year was the 11th best guard. So left and right in run blocking the year before that fourth best guard. He has elite three cone drill. Um, so which matters in terms of, um, his ability to get in the wide zone scheme. If you see like the clips of him that have been posted on Twitter, he just mauls. He loves getting to the second level and just attacking linebackers and putting him in the ground. And that's something we really need. He, he pancakes people. And I think like the interior offensive line, like run blocking wise, like with Vera Tucker, McGovern obviously like fits in the wide zone scheme as a run blocker. He's yeah. We could say we want as a pass blocker. Say we want in terms of picking up stuff. He fits as a run blocker. And now Tomlinson, like we can run the ball up the middle you know, outside with people pulling, you know, as much as we want. Yeah, we could really dominate the line of scrimmage at this point with this offensive line, given everyone stays healthy. But I think another important thing to, to bring up about Lake and Tomlinson is that a lot of people are worried about his ability to switch sides, but I, I, I wasn't able to confirm this uh, with, with just a quick, you know, internet search, but apparently he also played guard, uh, right guard in college. I did see that. I could, I think that's true. So if that's if that's the case, but also listen, you know Joe Douglas, he's an offensive line guy. You know if he if he's confident that he can switch sides, you know I'm all I mean, in. I I'm not going to question it. I think you have to remember that uh, we did bring John Benton over to be our run game coordinator. He was a former 49ers offensive line coach. He must have been confident signing off saying this guy can play right guard. I don't think Tomlinson would have signed with the Jets if he wasn't comfortable playing right guard because he knows we have Vera Tucker. Absolutely. So it's not like you're drafting the guy and saying, we're going to put you there. You know, it's mutual at, at that sense. Right. Uh, of course. But we, I think we've, uh, we've said enough about Lake and Tomlinson at this point. Honestly, I could probably go the rest of the podcast about talking about Lake and Tomlinson and how it affects the, the Jets offensive line. Such a fun topic, honestly. And <laughs> I just want to bring up one thing before we move on. Lincoln uh, Tomlinson, so you're, you're not done. Uh, just one more thing. Just one more. I promise. This is the last thing. Lincoln <laughs> Tomlinson was on the left side with Trent Williams. Now. What, what does that mean? Like you're staring at me like that means something. No, 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 no. no. I'm, <laughs> I'm pausing for dramatic effect. Okay. Okay. Wait, I said, I'm sorry to your dramatic effect. I'll give you a second. So can, <laughs> considering Lincoln Tomlinson was on the same side as Trent Williams, just, just watching the film back is just, it's just so fun, because you you see Lake and Tomlinson and Trent Williams just bulldozing the left side consistently. It's insane. And I saw also uh, one of the one of the NFL media members. Uh, I can't remember the name, but he also mentioned that a lot of Lake and Tomlinson's pass set pass protection production was not with double teams. So he was one on one a lot with with the D tackle. Whether it was, you know, an odd front, even front, 
whatever. He was, it was one-on-one with him. And that's a really important stat because I remember reading uh, Jet X put out an article recently about Austin Corbett. And it made me, it made me sour on him a little bit. And the reason for that is because they explained that the scheme in LA covers up a lot of his deficiencies as a pass protector, which it sounds all well and nice when we run a very similar system, right? Yeah. But wrong because he got a lot of help in pass protection in terms of uh, double teams, whether it was from the left tackle Whitworth or the, the center. So he, he also got a lot of help and he still struggled a lot. So I really love the signing. So I'm beating a dead horse at this point. Cause I'm so excited. I'm a big offensive line guy, huge offensive line guys, but the jets made a, made a very feel good signing as their next move. And who's saying, what was that move? Bringing back Braxton Berrios. Four, for $6 million a year, which is a lot less than he was reported to get. That was exactly my ballpark uh, range. That was the, that was the cap uh, money that I would give him. Yeah, I, my range frame was like five, go as high as like seven, like the five to seven range, like as high as possible. But then, you know, reports started coming out yesterday. Oh, he's going to get eight or nine. I'm okay, fine. Time for me to start really watching some Calvin Austin tape here. But it didn't matter. He came back. I think he gen- either his agent, you know, overplayed his hand with the leaks or he took a hometown discount to stay in New York. Either way, I, we're pumped he's back. And you could even tell his agent was behind those leaks because those leaks came out right after the tampering period started where uh, the market was with Barrios was a lot better than initially thought. And they were trying to, it seemed like they were trying to get Douglas to start betting, uh, not betting, but, you know, upping his offer when nobody was negotiating with him. So I think that's a big, that's a big sign. And I'm very happy Braxton Barrios is back. He's, he's a damn good punt returner, kick returner. He's very All close pro. to Zach Wilson. They have a very a, obvious right. connection and a great locker room guy. And I think that's a big trend that we're going to see with all these free agents, including Lakin Tomlinson is that he is known as a, you know, not only a great football player, a violent physical football player, but a just good human being, which matters when you're trying to fill out a locker room. Absolutely. And it's very important for a lot of the young guys in the locker room and, and they're adding a lot of veteran pieces who are known for this higher character. And that's going to trickle down hopefully to the young guys as they grow and develop as, as players. And I, I feel like, Braxton Berrios, this is one of the few players after, you know, after a long time where the Jets finally have a homegrown player stay with the team. Yeah, him. And I think um, you notice that, and it stills confidence in the front office, if you're like a player, that Joe Douglas said that, you know, if you're, you know, if you develop here, you get better here, you become good here, we're going to pay you what you deserve. And they did that with Berrios, and they did that with John Franklin Myers. Absolutely. And that's what good teams do. That's what like good organizations do. They pay the guys on their own roster what they're worth. And that just shows loyalty. And that means a lot to the players. Keywords, what they're worth. Not, not handing out candy as money like the Jaguars did with Christian Kirk. So, can, we, can we just quickly talk about how the Jaguars spent $100 yeah, no, no, we have to million dollars on a bottom five receiver room? No, we have to talk about this. They, it's just mind-boggling. They gave Evan Ingram $10 million. They gave Zay Jones three years, 30. Folu Fadakasi, three years, 30. Uh, we had talked about getting Olukan at linebacker. We really liked him. We thought he was going to be like 8 million, maybe I, 10. I they gave him go, 345. Hold on. I want to go back to our Google Drive where we were writing notes for that mock off season because I'm pretty sure we had him pegged for like just maybe slightly under 10 million annually. I think that's what he was And then he ended up getting 15, which is they blew him out of the water. nuts. Nuts. Like, yeah. I, I don't get this. Hold on. I'm, I'm pulling it up right now, okay? 
So, okay, wide receivers. This, I'm not wide receivers. Uh, linebackers, linebackers, where are you? Okay, yeah, linebackers. I mean, don't get me wrong. We were probably way off on, on the initial uh, estimate for his market value to begin with, but we had him at $6 million. Wow. I mean, like, so either we grow, we probably did lowball him to begin with. He probably should have been around 8 million, 9 million. Realistically. I, if the Jets signed him for 10, that's like the top number. I would have been like, yeah, okay, cool. I agree. 10 million is my, is my cap for, for him, but to get 15 million, that's, they that's insanity. I'm actually waiting. They haven't even announced how much they got, how much they give up for Brendan Scherf yet, how much they paid for him. I would have that to number, imagine it's around the, an, another 15 million. 15, 15 million it's million gotta mark. be. Right. It's gotta be. Yeah. He's the, he was one of the top guys on the market, whether teams like him or not because of his injury issues, but he was going to get paid regardless. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, wow. I just like, I, like, it was all in like the span of five minutes. It went, it literally went like Olukan, Farukasi, and then Kirk in like a five minute span. Yeah. It, Shad Khan was really handing out candy to babies. It's just, it, it doesn't make sense what he's doing. And I feel so bad for Trevor Lawrence. I really do. My heart goes out to him. I also think it's hilarious that at 12.01, the, Jet, the Bengals signed an offensive lineman. Oh, yeah, immediately. Yeah. There's like, we're not waiting for $40 million. Dollars. Like, the, everyone knew, like, legal tampering period has become such a just linking things that have been done for probably a week or two now. Like, I'm so, that contract got agreed to at the Combine, right? We can, like, agree probably. to that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It had to at least loosely been agreed to at the Combine. Yeah. And I think, like, it's the same thing that Jets contract offered at Lincoln Tomlinson. It got put... It got given to Lakin Thompson at the combine, his agent at the at the combine. Yeah, that they, the agents probably collect offers from the owners. You know, they keep them in their in their mind, and you know, you can't really have it written down because you know the tampering issues and whatnot. But tampering, yeah, quote unquote tampering, tampering. But you know, the agents probably just keep it all up in their memory or write notes in their phone of what teams are offering, and then when the time comes, you know, when the when the official phone calls come in, they could just start negotiating if and they already kind of know they already right. kind of know like where they want to go and you know they're willing to offer you that much to get you okay so we have one more re-signing to talk about before we hit a big boy okay. Kevin Coleman who you and I were both really big fans of bringing back we didn't haven't gotten a number on him yet so we can't really like evaluate it that well but I can't imagine it's more than two million dollars total for one year yeah I agree I mean we could also look back at what his previous contract was because that's going to give us I a really good it, idea I think it was 1.5 million yeah, I it, I don't think it's going to go up by any means yeah. necessary because I, that would make I, sense if it goes up because he didn't play the whole season. He, I mean, he he had stretches where he looked pretty good. I think he still has got some juice. I think um him plus a day three pick plus Carter would get the job done. Uh, yeah, last year he got one point one million dollars. Right, so he's probably in the same one million range with maybe maybe a nice uh, playing time bonus that comes along with it if he has yeah. to play an extended period of time. I think, you know, he's got, he had like 4.2 yards per carry. The offensive line in front of them is going to be better this year. Like nothing wrong, not complaining about that one, but it's something we wanted actually. We, I, we brought him back in our mock off season. So right. glad to see them on the same page. Right. I, 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 I really like this. I, I mean, there's really not a whole lot to say about Tevin Coleman. You know, he, he provides a, a solid backup plan for Michael Carter, a nice change of pace option. I, I really need to look towards the draft though to, to get that third option in the receiver room and no, i just we absolutely I, need I one really, more, yeah yeah i agree and we i mean we discussed this name in the mock off season james cook is a good name damian pierce is a good name brian robinson jr is a good name uh um, tyler algier is a good name um the guy from cincinnati who used to go to alabama um jerome, jerome ford, ford. 
he's yeah. a, he's a, he's a speed guy. He he's got, he's probably the closest thing to the track speed. But I also, uh, I, I believe on stock exchange, they were talking about Pierre strong from North Dakota state university yeah. or South Dakota I, state. I'm he's also a burner a, too. I'm a big fan of Kenny Walker from Michigan state. He just breaks tackle after tackle. It just, very um i can't i don't even know how to describe it just he's just constant elusive. constant elusive good speed like obviously not earlier than the third round but he's another running back i would look into absolutely but m- moving on to the to the next uh signing headline signing that the jets made and this now this is a headline and, signing in my opinion oh absolutely and, and Usain alluded to, to to it earlier but this is quote unquote a big boy and I know that I want to start with, obviously, we're talking about C.G. Ozama now. I know he got less money than Lincoln Tomlinson. We spent a lot of time on Lincoln Tomlinson. I think Uzama is a big boy because of the fact of the amount we got him for. I think eight million three, a year. That's insane. I think, like, here's the thing. Whenever we talked about mock offseason, we talked about going after tight ends. We never considered Uzama because, honestly, I think you and I both convinced he was going to top the $10 million a year, you know, range, you know, based on his role in that. Bengals offense this year. Yeah, I'm look. I'm looking at the numbers right now. We had Uzama pegged at 8.2 million. I mean, he came we, for eight. But I yeah. mean, considering we signed Najoku for 6.7, I mean, obviously I mean, like, knowing that now, that's not a legitimate solution because he got he was franchise tagged and he was he's getting I think 10 or 11 million off the franchise tag. But yeah. If we didn't get Najoku, I think my next option would have been either Uzama or Gerald Everett. Yeah, I think honestly Everett was like a realistic target because. I think we like we saw today, like you know, we saw Njoku get tagged, we saw Schultz get tagged, we saw Jaseki get tagged, we saw Evan Ingram sign for ten million dollars. We're like, all right, you know, like I didn't think for a second Uzama would cost less than ten million dollars based on this market as a free agent. You know, he got less money add like on an average value than Evan Ingram got. Like that just doesn't add up. Yeah, and Evan Ingram was signed as a slot receiver as well. Don't don't forget that part. So his market as a slot receiver is going to be a little higher than it would be as a tight end. Okay, listen, you talk yourself into Evan Ingram being the slot receiver, you could talk yourself into anything. <laughs> but the, again, the Jaguars, they're fucking, they're really confusing me, you know. But Evan like, Ingram, you know, slot. Zay Jones, slot. Like, what are they doing? I, I think getting uh, LaVisca Chenault, dead slot. But <laughs> I think getting CJ Zama for $8 million a year is probably like the best like obviously i like the lake and tomlinson signing more i think it'll have a better effect on our team it'll mean more but i think the best value signing today was cj uzama for eight million dollars a year right i i think in terms of value uzama is going to be at the top just just because it's eight million dollars a year which is it it's still i i'm so confused on how douglas was able to pull that off i really am but i am so happy so let's talk about the player more than the signing uzama this year as the very clear fifth option in that offense, unfortunately, because there was a chase, there was a Higgins, there's a Boyd, there's a Mixon. He was the fifth option. 49 grabs, 493 yards, five touchdowns. And he's okay. a great red zone target. He is six foot six, 260 pounds. He's a big now, man. He's a he's big. I wouldn't call him a red zone target. He had five scores this year, and I think at least three of them were outside the red zone on a catch and run type of play. That's fair, but I think I think his uh, red zone ability was kind of underutilized in Cincinnati, just uh, given yeah. the weapons they have. Right? Are you yeah, are you going to throw to CJ Uzama? Are you going to throw to Jamar Chase in the end zone? Like or hand it off to Joe Mixon? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I do agree with that. Now I did. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say like, yes, I've studied CJ Uzama tape because let's be real, no one has. Um, but I have like you know scrolled through some clips since we got him. 
And here's the two big things I noticed and kind of reflects the stat line. You know, his best game of the year was this year. What? Against Baltimore, he had three grabs, 91 yards, and two scores. Baltimore is the, probably the second heaviest cover one, cover zero team in the league behind the Patriots. So what he just showed us is that he can win. His biggest game of the season, he can win against man coverage. Right. That, that's a really good point to make. Although I, w- I do want to – I would like to remind people that I'm pretty sure the Baltimore Ravens secondary was, was a little, little hampered with injuries this year. Yeah, absolutely was. But, you know, still the fact that but they still, still ran that cover one zero, cover one zero. You're talking right. about a tight end, so you're matched up against the safety, against the linebacker, and he won those. And I can't remember the last time he made a tight end, Dustin Keller, who was able to beat a safety in coverage. And, and he also shows game. yak ability. He shows yak ability. That's my next point. You see a lot of his, um, a lot of his ability to win. A lot of his, uh, if he's not beating man coverage, he's taking those bootleg flat routes and catching and running and making people miss. And he's taking those for scores. And he's looking a lot more athletic doing it than Tyler Croft and Ryan Griffin. He looks very athletic. He's a strong blocker. And more importantly, we already alluded to this. Every single person coming out of the Bengals organization has said he is just a phenomenal human being, a phenomenal leader. Bengals fans are so upset to see him go because of that. Yeah, I am just I'm so excited. I'm so happy. I I was going into free agency yesterday fully prepared to be disappointed because quite honestly that's how I felt the last 2 years after free agency, but this time this is pretty it's different. Just, it's guys we want, you know. I think last year what it was is the first day we were pretty upset because all we got was Gerard Davis. The second day we were happy because Lawson and Corey Davis were personally two of our like more favorite targets. Right. But they this were. year like we could have ended our day at Thompson and Barrios, and we still would have been pretty pumped, I think. Yeah, and I think a lot of the – I think a huge thing that people aren't talking about, you know, just in terms of uh, positions that the Jets will target next in free agency is that this edge market has been completely untapped. It's been quiet. It's been quiet. Very but I quiet. Think that's going to be – that's think... a byproduct of the draft. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely, and I, I really think that – I think Hutchinson's kind of locked into that number one spot. I think at number four, we're looking at KT or looking at Jermaine Johnson. Yeah, I think I think KT or Jermaine Johnson's got to be the guy. And I think we've also the way free agency's gone. Like I know I've been a big proponent of sign a wide receiver, trade for wide receiver, but the way this free agency has gone, draft one to ten. That's uh, really our yeah, best option. Absolutely, draft one to ten. Just do it. Draft you know? one to ten. Just don't even don't even risk waiting to the second round. Just just pick your receiver. Yeah, even though Gary Wilson might be gone, pick the second best receiver on your board. Who knows? They might have Burks or London higher than Wilson. And another but point I like just, I want to bring up really quickly, even though this is more of a draft nugget, is that the Jets used GPS uh, velocity tracking on Tevin Coleman to, to, to determine whether he still had fuel left in the tank in terms of playing. So I wonder if the Jets are going to be using that as well on someone like Traylon Burks, who didn't run the 40 as well, and using the GPS tracker on him to see what his – velocity is on the field when when playing in college and the same thing with drake london so i, I have to see i can't believe he ran a four five five like if you look at that clip of him just outrunning alabama's entire secondary that look that does not look like a four five five you know there's 40 speed and there's game speed and i don't maybe he doesn't have 40 speed but he has game speed i there's just no denying that factor i think and and the rams used the gps uh, service tracking service on Cooper Cup when they took him in the third round to even because I'm pretty sure he ran like a four six four or something as a he 40. ran a four six two yeah four well, six two it was 40, it was yeah. a pretty ugly forty and they used the GPS tracking service to verify that he had he had legitimate game speed 
and that worked out pretty well for the for the Rams. So if the Jets use a, a similar similar procedure to evaluate how fast these receivers are, and they think that the receiver that they take a ten, even if it's Drake London or Traylon Burks, I'm all in. I, I really agree. am. I, and I also think, like, at that point, with the way this agency has gone, because now we're also looking at proper depth in Barrios. I still think they will sign one guy in free agency, kind of, like, similar to Keelan Cole last year. At this point, right. if the guy they bring back, also, like, obviously I'm not saying I want it, but, like, the guy they bring back is Keelan Cole to be wide receiver five. If they draft one at 10, I'm also not complaining in that sense either. But right. we've hit the guys we've talked about. Maybe let's talk about some of the rumors that we've been hearing today because the Jets aren't done. It's always no, hard to say the, the Jets, Jets are not done. The Jets are not done, and that's music to my ears. And I think the biggest person who may be priced out by now at this point, I feel like the biggest rumor so far to this day is Marcus Williams is still the biggest unsigned rumor for the Jets so far. So Hussein, take it away. Um, Marcus Williams, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of reports of him, you know, his money coming between 18 and $20 million. No, sir. Um, I don't. I would never pay, I would never pay a safety that much money. Like, um, but moving on from Marcus Williams, because I just hope if his market comes down, you can get him for about 15. Go ahead and get him. I don't think it'll come down though. I think he has suitors, and there's a reason he hasn't signed yet because his market hasn't gone down. Um, we have Tyron Matthew. Um, obviously, I'm a big honey badger fan. He's my favorite non-shed in the NFL. I'll go nuts if you signed him for whatever money, but he's not worth more than 13 million, 14 million, I think. Great fit, great, perfect scheme fit, can do everything you want in coverage. Again, great human being, great leader, you know. But I think they're more likely to hit that second-tier safety market. You know, we just saw um, Xavier Woods get signed for three years, $15 million, yeah. $5 million a year. We're looking – so imagine, like, you know, instead of that, like, we mimic that deal and take, say, Jarkowski Tart from the 49ers and have him play safety for us for $5 million a year. I think that's a great deal. Jaron Curse, we're big fans of him. Similar kind of deal, you know? Absolutely. Um, other, other guys that really like, Jabril Peppers. Um, I've heard a lot of rumors about the Jets liking Jordan Whitehead. I'd pay him probably close to $10 million a year because he's only 24. There's a lot of options on the safety market. It is untouched so far. Right, the safety market and the edge market. and I, that's, that's definitely going to be a byproduct of the draft class, but I, th- I think what you're going to see is the Jets are going to go for a, a run-stuffing box safety in, the, in free agency just because they're they're more on the cheaper side. Jaron Curse being the biggest name. So I'd really like to see a signing in the safety market. Just get at least one, just like you did with tight end. Just just get your get hands one. on one for now. And if get and one. listen, if if there's an opportunity that presents itself where a market on a second safety that that plays more center field in coverage and his market isn't where it should be, by all means, sign sign two. Just yeah. take what the market gives you at this point. You know, don't don't get I, too picky, but as in turn, let me just, I just want to quickly transition to the, to the D line really quickly. Cause the jets definitely need some interior help as well in terms of run stopping DJ Jones is another big, not even just another big, just like a huge rumor to the jets right now, just yep. 49ers connections as well. So I think he would be a great ad. I think we'll do realistically, we'll do one. I think it'll be a safety and it'll be, DJ Jones or something like that, someone similar, and that'll close out our free agency period for the most part. Right. I think that because of bring, say, like we say, get Tart, for example, having Tart and Joiner, just the kind of like, um, you know, interior offensive line doesn't force us to take a safety in round two and have them start day one. Obviously, we'd like that, 
but we can kind of draft a guy round three, round four, let him sit for a time, develop, or like we mentioned, beat Joiner out for that starting spot if he really deserves it. Um, right. But, and then that would kind of allude to like then maybe corner in that second round if possible. Right. So, yeah, you bring up a good point. And I think a position that hasn't been looked at yet as well is also linebacker because the Jets have quite, quite a black hole at linebacker, at least in my opinion, aside from CJ Mosley, because I don't think Quincy Williams is the answer as a, as a full-time starter. So definitely the third linebacker He's great fit. I'm, I'm really curious as, as if they're going to at least get a body in the room via free agency, obviously Oluokun didn't work out because the Jaguars decided to, to just hand hand out candy as money. But there's also some cheap names out there like Quan Alexander and he's familiar with the system. So I wonder if they just at least get uh, somebody in there just as a cheap contract, just to fill space and, and use as a stopgap and, and just at least draft another in the, in the draft. So there's a little, there's a lot of options, but you can tell that the positions that we talked about so far, it is all offense, all of it. Yeah. So definitely. this really paints a perfect picture of what the jets are at least going to be targeting in, in the draft it's going to be very defensive heavy and corners corner will most likely be needed if they don't sign a cb1 which also is another rumor that the jets want a legitimate cb1 i'm not really sure if stefan gilmore is going to work out like they would hope because uh stefan gilmore his market is close to about 14 15 million so i wonder given his age given his recent inability to stay healthy I wonder if teams will come, will be a little down on his market and if the Jets can at least come in, swoop in and get a, a deal on the cheaper side. So you did mention Stephon Gilmore. I think it's time to talk about him. Um, now, a lot of people are questioning the scheme fit. I'm questioning it as well, but I would like to say two things to that regard. One, we ran a lot more cover one this year or in cover zero than we thought we would from Robert Tyler's scheme. And two, the, the team that has the second most interest in Gilmore after the Jets is the 49ers who are the exact same thing we do defensively. So if you think, why do we not think it's a scheme fit? Why do they think it's a scheme fit for them? You know? Right. Absolutely. So I, I think we're just missing something in, in just simple X's and those terms that we're maybe not in the room to understand, but you are right. The Jets ran a lot of cover one and cover zero this year. And I wonder, I really wonder if, if that's due to the fact that our front four just really couldn't generate a whole lot of pressure. And let's be real. I think, um, like, yes, he has the injury history. I'm going to get really deep into that in a few minutes. Um, but we're talking about, you know, when healthy, when on the field, a true ball hawk elite NFL CB1 who's capable of shutting down other receivers. Um, we're talking about a really good corner here who can get turnovers, and we don't really have anyone who does that on our defense. I don't know what he'll cost. I don't know what he's worth, but I wouldn't, I can't, again, I wouldn't be upset if we signed him. I think it's people, some people have like kind of likened it to Richard Sherman signing with the 49ers. It's kind of that, that like guy, that corner who fell off, he got hurt. You know, he was at the top of the NFL, top of the mountain, fell off, got hurt, came to this new team in the system and then just, rebounded to become an all pro again. And some people kind of compared Gilmore to Sherman in that sense. Right. I could definitely see that comparison because they definitely had a very similar couple years for at least Stefan Gilmore. When you compare it to uh, Richard Sherman before he signed with the 49ers, we all know how that 49ers year turned out. 
uh, in terms of their defense because they also drafted an a Nick Bosa and that ju- that defense just exploded. They with, traded for D Ford in the same year too. Yeah, D Ford, Nick Bosa, Richard Sherman were all new additions that year, and the Jets will be getting something most likely very similar to that when Carl Austin returns. When hopefully a, they draft an edge rusher at four, whether it's Kayvon Thibodeau or it's Jermaine Johnson or That'd even be- a second round guy, and then they could also add in a Stephon Gilmore in the secondary. I think that's that would be lights mimicking. out. Mimicking, it's mimicking them like word for, like completely. They're just right. copying their blueprint. Right. So now let's get let's get into the hard part here. Let's talk about Gilmore's injury history because it you, you know like I'm big on oh uh, this this guy like I'm big on not downplaying injuries, but like I really read into them. I think not all injuries are created equal, and that some are more likely to reoccur. Um, if you get one knee injury, you are more likely to get another one. If you get a head injury, a concussion, you are more likely to get another one. If you have consistent hamstring issues or sprained ankles, they are more likely to reoccur. But for Stephon Gilmore, and actually uh, for Stephon Gilmore, he, for the better part of his career in New England, he was healthy, just didn't miss time, really, period. In, you know, three years there, he missed four games, you know, and then what happened is not even he missed three games in three years. And what happened is he had a really uncommon injury, a very uncommon one. He tore his quad in practice. That's not a very common injury. And it was a partially torn quad. It wasn't a complete tear. That matters because then it's just a repair and it's not a complete replacement. Kind of liken it to, um, I mean, literally, you know, we talked about how uncommon, you know, that torn triceps tendon was for Marcus Joyner. Think of it in the same sense. And that injury caused him to miss time in 2020 season, his last year in New England, and caused him to miss time in Carolina as well because New England put him on the PUP list. So, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I was just – I'm looking at the same website you are because it's, it, it – pretty much lists out all of his injuries and, and this a lot is a of cool them, website yeah and, and a lot of them aren't necessarily repeat injuries you know you, you obviously have the concussions it's the nfl mm-hmm. i i i could i i'd be very hard pressed to name you players that have never got a concussion in the nfl um or so any kind of injury really ever. right so there's that but i i feel like the one slight injury concern for me with stefan gilmore and look this may be a reach but it looks like really since 2020, he's had a lot of lower body injuries. Whether, mm-hmm. you know, in 2020, he had a knee strain and he had a quad tear. Again, I know it's not a recurring injury, but then he also had a groin strain uh, just last year. So, yeah, it's not it wouldn't it's not enough to deter me completely to sign him. And I and I wouldn't be upset if we signed him, obviously, you know, given whatever contract uh yeah you give him but money matters that's 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 the one slight concern i would have for stefan gilmore just the lower body injuries that have been slightly piling up recently i mean it's only three but it's three within the last two years mm-hmm. so, so just saying, maybe you can speak on that a little bit so the big thing is, is that knee strain you mentioned it's it was graded as a grade one that means it's like the like lowest grade knee strain possible obviously you don't want to push that um the quad tear yeah obviously that's an issue the issue with that and the reason you miss time is that your quad, when you tear it, you tear the tendon where it attaches to your knee, where it attaches to your shin, right? To allow your thigh to flex. And what happens there is um, you can't, you do not get cleared 
until you get about, it's kind of similar to the ACL in that sense. The reason ACL takes so long to get a um, recovery from is the surgery shuts down your quad. So the rehab process is kind of similar in that you do not get approved for sport or any sort of activity until that injured quad is 90% strength the other side. And that takes about six to seven months to genuinely get back, which is why it took him so long. I got put on the PUP list to start the season, which is where those missed games came from. Right. It's a very good point that you brought up. So with all that said, Stefan Gilmore, if the Jets feel like he's going to be a great fit in the secondary, I would be on board. Although, I mean, it is likely that the Jets could miss on him just because the other teams that are uh, in the Gilmore sweepstakes at this point are contenders with the Raiders and the 49ers. So if the Jets want to sign him, we more than likely have to be oh. the top do- uh, top dollar offer on the market. Hussein is raising his hand. Hussein. Uh, so we have um, a signing, not for the Jets, but a target we mentioned on this podcast a mere 10 minutes ago. DJ Jones, the Broncos, three years, $30 million. Good for him. He matched Foley Fadakasi's market. I have I have a feeling that once Foley signed, that pretty much set DJ Jones's market as $10 million per. Yep. And now more some more rumors, according to Rich Kamini on Instagram Live and a lot of other people right now, that there is mutual interest between Marcus Williams and the Jets and keep an eye out for that. Hmm. I think that's going to be a signing that maybe, if it'll happen, probably tomorrow or the day after. Probably tomorrow thing, yeah. But I'm definitely intrigued. I hope it's not going to be $20 million, though. I think that IDL signing, that IDL death that we need, I also think if we get an edge, we can kick John Franklin Myers back inside, especially on rundowns to you know get that you know, big guy inside. Um, if we can obviously draft an edge rusher. And I think we can also, you know, go to that well on day three and draft a guy who's known in college as a run stuffer because those guys tend not to be drafted so high anyways. Absolutely. Fully Fodakasi himself was a sixth round pick. So I think that the Jets are going to have to go to the, not only the the backup offensive line well in, on day three of the draft, but also the interior defensive line well of that draft. Yeah, just just to really fill out the room. I wouldn't be surprised if one of our next two, if the only two signings we make, maybe it's now instead of IDL now is, like we said, maybe add a body to the linebacker room. And then one of those two, a safety or a corner, add to the defensive back room. And I wouldn't be opposed to Marcus Williams or Stefan Gilmore at this point. I wouldn't be opposed either. But Hussein, I have a question for you. I have an answer, hopefully. So with all these signings so far that we with, that the Jets have made, so I, I just want to get an get a idea of where your mind is at at this point. So... A lot of people, including the two of us, we are very, very on board with getting a receiver at number 10. Yes. Given the fact that the Jets have not made any meaningful additions to linebacker, how would you feel if the Jets traded out of 10 and used the later pick in the first round to draft either a Kobe Dean or a Devin Lloyd? Um, I would say you can go ahead and do that, but you go back up, but you take that extra pick you got and you take 35 and you trade back up for a receiver whoever you think it may be, even Jamison Williams, potentially in that area now. You trade back in to the first round. I think Jamison Williams is going to be long gone, honestly. I think Jamison Williams is going to be probably gone by pick 18 or 20. Interesting, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've seen a lot of people say that just because he tore his ACL doesn't mean he's going to take a big hit to his draft stock. And I and I forgot who was signed recently, but they tore their, they got injured too, and they got a big deal. I, I'm really blanking on the player, but... In this day and age with torn ACLs, it's it's not an issue anymore for recovery. And I don't I, think teams, it's an teams, issue. Teams are very okay with 
taking someone with an elite speed, even with a torn ACL issue that they'll be right by the time the week one comes around. So I don't know if it's a pick I would necessarily make as a it's GM, not something but I'm comfortable I, with injury. Right. I'm not either. I'm not comfortable with that either, but I think a team will be comfortable enough with it. I think for a guy, you know, now I'm getting into a little tangent about Jameson Williams. I thought it was really, I do think he's a really good prospect, but for a guy who's like as small and slender as he is, who's, you know, like as everyone's like, oh, yeah, Justin Jefferson's really tiny. But Justin Jefferson's elite trait, his calling card isn't speed. It's elite footwork and route running. But for a guy who's small, slender, his calling card is just pure speed coming off a knee injury. And you're talking about the number one receiver for Zach Wilson's future. That's not a commitment I'm that comfortable with making at this point in time. I'm not either. But I I, I do want to bring up that if Jameson Williams didn't tear his ACL, I think for a long time at number 10, a lot of uh, people doing mock dress would have, would have penciled, not even penciled in. I think people would have wrote in ink Jameson Williams at 10 to the Jets. Yep. But I think but he um, got hurt, unfortunately. I do think that I, I, I know we need a linebacker. I think we should prioritize receiver before that, unless you really have a plan, unless you really like someone and they're convincing to follow 35. Don't get cute because, you know, I don't know if you ever saw that report. When we got Denzel Mims, we traded down, not with the intention. Like, we, you remember we traded down before we got Denzel Mims in the second round? Yes. We traded down not for the intention of Mims. We thought Joe Douglas thought he'd be gone. He traded down for the intention of Van Jefferson. Yeah, I remember that. And he went, and no one, like Joe Douglas didn't expect him to go. Don't get cute. We're talking about a wide receiver one. We desperately need one. I understand the market isn't materialized for you to be able to Pay one. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to argue like, yeah, maybe yesterday I would have been yelling for Alan Robinson. That was before Christian Kirk got $20 million a year. Now, be smart. Go get a wide receiver one in the draft for Zach Wilson at 10. Don't get cute. Don't think, oh, I can trade down and trade back up unless you really are convinced it's going to work. Yeah, I agree. I I mean, just, just take the, just take your favorite guy in the draft at 10. Just, I don't, I don't want to have to deal with the scraps that the, that, that the rest of the teams in the NFL leave behind, like the Jets had the experience with Denzel Mims. So just take your guy. And the only, there's only maybe two receivers that could deter me from taking a wide receiver at 10 at this point, and I'm not even sure they would. Allen Robinson's obviously one of them, but I honestly right now wouldn't be shocked if he gets $20 million. The second one that wouldn't deter me from taking a receiver at 10, but kind of let me push it off to round two would be someone like DJ Chark. I my mind is in the same exact space as yours is. I was about to say DJ Chark. I was I, I like, was considering cutting you off, but I'm like, no, I'll let him speak. Like if it's DJ Chark and say Jahan Dobson, you know, not ten out of ten cool with that. Right, exactly. I would be 100 percent okay with a second round receiver, but I think a second round tight end would need to be paired immediately with that as well. But here, Honestly, here's a question for you. There's answer been, for you. There's been so much talk recently about how the the Jets. Obviously, the Jets need a tight end, right? There's been so much talk about, first of all, Dane Brugler came out and tweeted saying he wouldn't take a tight end in a, in a top 40 pick in his in this class personally for him. And just with the sheer depth of tight end of tight ends in this class, would, would you be okay if the Jets go a different route in the second round entirely and don't even draft a, a tight end, period? Um, yes, but that pick, that round three pick, I think it's 69, you hope it's Rucker. You hope Rucker falls or someone who else fits the scheme. I think Uzama is a great signing. I think you need one more. I think Rucker or McBride still harping that same tree would be great fits. I think those are the two guys you probably target in this case. Uzama is great. He's not enough. 
Hussein, I think you're really forgetting my, my, my big senior bowl guy and Jake Ferguson. Jake, for, I, Jake Ferguson was kind of my guy. If you sign nobody, then you can go draft Rucker and Ferguson, and that'd be your one-two combination. Right. That's where my mind was at when it came to Jake Ferguson. I would be okay with Uzama and Ferguson as a tight end room. I mean, he's a, he's a phenomenal blocker, top-tier blocker. He so. went to Wisconsin. I mean, that's all he did was really block. All they did was run. Now, I'm very curious, c- considering that the Jets, obviously, they, they ran the national team for the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm very curious to see. They really must have loved some of the defensive players to, to really target often, uh, offensive skill players and offensive positions in, in free agency. So, Hussein, who do you think those defensive players are that the Jets are in love with? Um, there's a few guys, obviously, like, I know they coached one side, but Jermaine Johnson was on the other side. I think they love him. Um, a big guy that I think, uh, they see a lot of the big players that was really excited to watch at the senior bowl opted out, but I think probably the guy defensively, um, all the linebackers, I think they like, for example, they, they did coach, um, I think Brian, they coached Brian Osimov from Oklahoma. They coached, uh, Chad Darian Beavers. Darian Beavers, Chad Nomo. Yep. So I think they like the linebackers enough. And I think the one guy they must really like defensively is Jalen Petrie from Baylor, the safety. Okay. He's, he's worth, I think, a second-round pick. I don't know, about 38, like probably like a trade-down second-round pick. But again, at, at that point, it's kind of like you're getting too cute. Take your guy. If you like, you have a guy who thinks worth 45, take him a pick 38. Don't get cute, right? Right. So I think he's probably the big target for them uh, safety-wise. I would personally have a few other safeties higher on my board. I know you hate watching safeties, but I really like them. Um, Jaquan Brisker, Daxton Hill are two guys I would take before him personally, but I wouldn't be upset because they coach Petrie at the senior bowl. They know him well. They work with him for a whole week. So they must know stuff. Obviously I don't about him. Right. Good point. But I think there's one player that you haven't mentioned yet that I, I think it's because we're assuming that the jets are going to take an edge in the first round, but for whatever whatever reason, if that doesn't happen, I think if the Jets target an edge rusher, I think they really love Boye Mafa. I think a lot of teams do, and I think he'd justify justifiable pick at you know 35 or 38. I think so, because just watching the senior bowl, he does exactly everything that Robert Sala wants. He he really is able to pin his ears back and get upfield and get after the quarterback. And he he he's really fast off the edge. So I think he would have to be one of those players too, like in a, in maybe a world where the Jets decide to go sauce it for. If the Jets yeah. don't get a Stephon Gilmore in free agency, then they have to pivot and maybe get, uh, maybe they split, maybe they make a signing in the edge market at that point. If they miss on a CB one, who knows? Like there's a lot of different avenues the Jets can go at this point. There's a lot more. We'll be back to talk about it. Absolutely. There's going to be another uh, free agency wrap up video that we will be putting out there, whether it's after the second day, third day. Let's see. A, Joe Doug, let's see what happens. Joe Douglas has to do enough for us to, to have another episode quickly, but we're yes. going to definitely Mark, do a free agency wrap wrap up. If we sign Marcus Williams or Gilmore tomorrow, we'll be right back on here. Oh, absolutely. But before we wrap up, Hussein, do you have any other additional comments you would like to add in before we before we go? We hit absolutely everything, man. What a great day. What, what an absolute great day to be a Jets fan today. Usually that, usually that always lines up to be in the offseason, whether it's the draft or free agency. But I don't think we've had a, a draft day where we um, were happy about it. Like 
no, sorry, sorry, free agency day, we're like, we were happy about it. Like day one where we got guys we targeted and we didn't overpay either. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy with not only the players, but the contracts as well. And I think Joe Douglas did a really awesome job this year. So I would say I would say he did, a, I think, a good job last year, free agency wise. Like in hindsight, Corey Davis and Carl Lawson were great signings that we wanted and they weren't overpaced either. Just so happened that one of them had a core surgery and one of them tore their Achilles, you know. Right. Which you really you really can't foresee any of that happening. But it, it was a real gut punch when that happened. But yeah, so far I love it. And we, we talked about it. You know, we got guys who also have a history of being available. Right. Availability is the best avail- uh, ability. So that's something everyone needs to keep in the back of their minds. So on that note, that is going to wrap up the free agency reaction by Hussein and myself. We hope you will definitely interact with us at our Twitter page, our Twitter account handle whatever you want to call it is revis underscore butthead on twitter give us a follow we have the very pretty logo in our in our cover cover photo on our account so you'll be able to find us don't be a long time to make it don't be it did take me a really long time to make it It took me a lot of effort i put a lot of please appreciate it absolutely so please like comment interact with us jets fans we would love to talk new york football with everybody so on that note Happy free agency, guys, and we hope day two and three and four and five and six and seven and eight and nine and ten are just I can't handle one. Stop, stop counting. <laughs> I okay, can't I'll handle stop. this. <laughs> uh, just for you, I'll stop. But on that note, peace out, Jets nerds. Good night, friends.